So we are continuing in our series, um, Devoted, thinking about um, those words in Acts chapter 2 where it says they devoted themselves to, and then a few things follow after that. And just before we um, crack into thinking about this, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, I just want us to go back to the word devoted again. Because if we haven't fully understood that, then we don't really know what's being required from our hearts towards the Lord and the things that are important to him. And so um, Jesus told a couple of stories in Matthew chapter 13 that tell us something about what devotion really looks like. And they're really short stories. There's two stories in three verses. Um, They're from Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. And Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And they're just little stories, but they're little stories about the kingdom of heaven, what the lordship, the kingship of God will look like and what it's worth to us. And so this man finds this treasure in a field. He buries the treasure again, wise man. And he goes away. And what we expect is that he will have the money to buy the treasure. But what he does is he sells everything and he buys the field. Buying the treasure would be commitment. Buying the field is devotion, isn't it? It's Everything, we leave everything because the kingdom of heaven is so worth it. It's the same with this story which we often talk about as the pearl of great price. He found this pearl of immense value. It's so worth it that he sells everything just in order to gain the kingdom of heaven. And for many of us in this room, and no criticism is intended by the way, we can choose the kingdom of heaven as a hobby, we have that option, don't we? We can sign up to it for you know, Sundays and Wednesday nights. Um, we can get a kind of 44 weeks of the year membership. We don't have to come every week. You know, we can kind of sign up as a hobby. That's an option to us. Um, many of our brothers and sisters around the globe right now, now don't have that option. If they sign up for the kingdom of heaven, if they submit their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ, it can cost everything everything, their relationship with their family, potentially their children, their freedom, even their life, their status on their passport is written the word Christian. That denies them access. It's the opposite of what Phil was talking about earlier. It denies them access. It costs them everything. And in many ways, we have it easy, don't we? And whilst we're grateful for that, because I think we probably are, it sometimes means that we're not really devoted. We haven't really left it all. We haven't sold it all to buy the field with the treasure in, to buy the pearl. And so it's really essential for us to recognize what devoted really looks like. And I guess, I dare to say, if devotion doesn't cost anything, then it's probably not devotion. And I imagine that that is a challenge to every single one of us in this room. They devoted themselves. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' 
teaching, and we were talking a couple of weeks ago about that, about knowing Jesus, about knowing him more, about understanding who he is, like the apostles did. They wanted to hear every story. What what was the tone of his voice? What did he sound like? How did he say that? Tell me that story again. I've forgotten. What did that mean? And that stuff about the Old Testament, explain that to me. Help me to understand who Jesus really is. And they also devoted themselves to the koinonia, to the fellowship. My experience was exactly the same as Phil's. We had fellowship after church with the green teacups and saucers. We both survived that. We've both had prayer. And we now understand that fellowship is much more than that. Fellowship is not sharing a cup of tea, although that's a good place to start. It's about shared experience, shared life. The more we understand of the early church, the more we understand about the sacrifice and challenge of koinonia, of true, deep fellowship with one another. It's expressing the love of Jesus that we have ourselves received. And the more we reflect on the love of Jesus, the deeper our fellowship should be with one another. And so this morning, we're thinking about devoting ourselves to the breaking of bread from Acts 2, uh, verse 42. Now, if we went out onto the street and we did sort of, you know, vox pops on what do you think breaking of bread means, most people, I imagine especially those with no church background, they're having fun, aren't they, would, uh, would say, well, it's you get bread and you break it, you know, like tear and share bread. That, that's what most people would probably imagine we were talking about, because why wouldn't you? It's a, it's a perfectly normal phrase. But this phrase means different things to different people, depending on your church tradition or lack of it. Perhaps our understanding of the breaking of bread is influenced by images from history. Perhaps it's something like this, where you have the big long table and Jesus sat in the middle, and there's all that kind of Renaissance art that's all about the religious imagery, and we kind of have this sense of everyone's got a flowing robe, everyone's got to have flowing hair. By the way, some of you are doing quite well on the flowing hair, Um, less on the flowing robes. Uh, and, And it's all very neat, and tidy and kind of, well, kind of stylized, isn't it? Most of the religious art was stylized so that, that Jesus always looked roughly the same and the disciples always looked roughly the same. So people who know can tell you, well, that one's Peter and that one's John and whatever because they're always painted like that. Or maybe it's from icons where you have this pristine Jesus with a halo and then everyone else. And your view of what breaking of bread is like is kind of um, informed from paintings, really. Maybe it's influenced by images from today. In our church here, we do communion. Normally, got a bit different this morning, you'll find out more about that later, with a loaf of bread or a roll if we've forgotten to buy a loaf of bread. Um, And a cup, but normally we have the little cups, you know, in the trays. Yeah, you're all familiar with that. Nod at me. Most of you have been here. And, and so when we think about breaking of bread, we think about this roll, and we think about the little cups with that juice in that doesn't taste terribly nice. And that's what we think of when we think of communion. If you come from um, a more Anglican background, you may have called it the Eucharist. 
Um, and your experience will most likely have been something like you all come up to a rail at the front where the person who's the priest or a licensed other person will serve you. Generally now in Anglican churches, they have wafers rather than bread. Heather's looking appalled by that thought. Um, however, on the good side, Heather, you get to have a whole cup of wine. So that has to be good, doesn't it? And then the priest gets to drink it all before they go home at the end. Alex and I were having a conversation about it only yesterday. It's better if you can walk to church, isn't it? Or maybe your experience is more Catholic. I have been to Mass a couple of times, not very often, and the Catholic Church holds the Mass in very high esteem, and generally most of what goes on goes on at the front. And um, if you are not a Catholic, officially you're not allowed to share in the communion with them. Sometimes that's changed now, but formally that has been the case. And they also believe in transubstantiation, which is a great word for Sunday morning. So something more significant occurs with the bread and wine. There is a sacramental sense more than we have, more even probably than most Anglican churches have, that the body and the blood, sorry, the bread and the wine become the body and the blood of Jesus somehow. Now that's not my tradition, when I grew up, my friend and I used to arrange the communion for our nine o'clock service in our church. Uh, we used to bring the bread and pour out the juice, etc. And at the end, when it wasn't quite finished, we'd take the bread and we'd feed it to the ducks in the River Thames, who are now deeply spiritual. Now, for <laughs> what I have said in certain contexts is utterly offensive. So our tradition makes a big um, impact on how we understand the breaking of bread. However, perhaps the main thing, person, that we should be influenced by is the context of Jesus. Because what we're talking about is these earliest believers. This is only a matter of weeks after Jesus has died and been raised and ascended into heaven. And so what they are doing surely has to be important to us in how we do things. We need to be influenced by the context of Jesus. And so that passage that I read to you from Luke chapter 22 talks about the Last Supper, doesn't it? You can read it slightly differently in other Gospels. And they have gathered for a meal. They've gathered for the Passover meal. And they are reclining around the table. This is about as near as I could get. Um, in my former life, I did Latin A-level. Somebody had to. Um, and we had a Roman banquet um, partway through my sixth form. And so we all came to school one evening, um, and um, we kind of were around these really low tables with cushions. We all had to arrive dressed in togas. I think a number of people had car accidents on the road watching these people dressed in togas <laughs> walking along. You know, when you sit low by a table, it changes the dynamic of your fellowship with other people. And by the time they'd sat there for a while, it was natural for them to kind of lean on each other because it gets quite uncomfortable sitting upright. It was a different dynamic. They were gathered around, leaning on the low table like that, celebrating the Passover, which you would celebrate with your closest family and friends, remembering and hoping. The Passover was such a significant 
story for the Jewish people. It was one of those key stories that they kept referring to throughout their history together, that they had been commanded to remember. It's a story of deliverance and redemption. If we go back for a moment to Exodus chapter 12, And uh, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, but from verse 12. So just in case you're not familiar with this, this is um, after the Israelites have been in slavery in Egypt for a really long time. And God hears their cry, and he sends different plagues against the Egyptians. And he sends Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them be free. And Pharaoh kind of wavers, but but he's not going to let them go free. And this is the final one. And God says, this will be the death of every firstborn child or animal, unless unless you do what I say. So he says this, verse 12, On the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And then there's some instructions around that. So this is what Jesus and his disciples are doing. They are celebrating the Passover, just as many other families would have been doing that night, just as many have done for the years in advance of that. In the midst of that meal, remembering that the lamb has been Um, sacrificed, that the blood of the lamb had been put on the doorpost, that in that moment the angel of death had passed over, but the people of Israel had been able to walk free out of Egypt to the Red Sea and in time into the promised land. In the middle of that meal, meal, Jesus takes the bread. Now this would have been the unleavened bread, had no yeast in it to represent that there was no sin. He took it and he broke it, said, This is my body broken for you. Now listen, most of you have heard that for so often that you're reciting the words in your own head as either of us are doing it out the front here. They were having the Passover meal. They were friends together. They'd done this a lot of times before. Jesus breaks the bread and he turns to me and says, James, this is my body broken for you. Peter, this is my body broken for you. John, this is my body broken. Can you imagine? They had no idea what he was talking about. They were like, this is completely over. What What are you saying? And then he picks up the cup, and there were a number of cups at the Passover meal. Jesus picked up the cup of redemption, the one that talked about the price that was paid for buying them back out of slavery. And he says, This is my blood shed for you, Matthew. This is my blood shed for you, Andrew. I don't know if they got it at all. They they acted confused. Maybe for some of them, a little few things that they remembered. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe they they started to remember some of the things that Jesus had said as he now said to them, this is my body, this is my blood. 
Because in every moment of that Passover meal, they recalled deliverance and redemption. They realized that they were set free from slavery to a new day and a new life and a new land. They remembered the faithfulness of God, that he was still with them. They remembered the power of God. I don't know if you noticed in Exodus chapter 12, it says, uh, wrong passage. It says, um, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. You know, this was not just uh, God opened the gate of Egypt and said, now walk free. This was God expressing his power. This was God expressing his victory. He had expressed that through the plagues, which imitated what the gods of Egypt stood for. But this was the final one. And he was destroying the gods of Egypt in that moment. They had no power over the people anymore. The cross is not just an act of love, though it is. It is not just the greatest sacrifice we will never, ever understand, although it is. It is a victory statement where Jesus trampled the powers of sin and death and hell. And in that moment, as Jesus shared Passover with them, all of those things were part of what they were celebrating. And the people devoted themselves to this because in the breaking of bread, they heard these words. You are accepted. You are welcome. You are free. Norman shared something with me right at the front of the service. I went, yeah, I'm going to say that. <laughs> so it was really great that Norman shared that. He said, you know, I think that there's people here today who still feel uncertain about whether they're worthy. Let me let you into a secret. None of us are worthy. But Jesus, with his disciples, the one who would deny him, the one who would betray him even, the ones who fought over who was the greatest, they weren't actually that exemplary, were they? Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. We are all welcome because of his grace, not because of our worth. And they did it together because there's a corporate nature to this, isn't there? A corporate nature to the breaking of bread. I was on the train on Tuesday on my way to Manchester Airport to go to the Isle of Man. It took about five times longer to get to Manchester than it did to get to the Isle of Man. Um, and uh, you know what it's like on the train to Leeds, don't you? You'll sit there and you pretend that no one else exists unless you've come with someone, in which case you might be able to talk to them. Um, so we were all doing that polite thing, sitting on the train, and this couple got on, youngish, um, and they were sitting doing the crossword from one of those free papers. And so, of course, we were all listening to them doing the crossword, but obviously no one was expressing any knowledge of the fact that they were listening. And uh, so they did a few of the clues and everything, and then they, they got onto this clue, and, and uh, the lady said, um, it's, um, it's a word, it's five letters long, um, mountain ash. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know that one. <laughs> because, because we used to have one of those in our garden when I was growing up. Anyway, I didn't say anything, obviously, because that would have been totally inappropriate. And um, then this lady sitting next to them went, um, that one that you're discussing, the answer's Rowan. And they went, oh, oh, thank you for that, thank you. Okay, so at this point, there's a little bit more kind of engagement from the crowd. Um, and uh, so the next clue is um, five letters long, another word for compassion. I couldn't help myself. I just went, mercy, across the aisle. <laughs> I mean, like that, that's a proper Christian word, isn't it? I felt like I needed to contribute. So... Um, 
Anyway, so she writes this in, and then she said, um, and uh, so then we all go back to her. <laughs> she says, uh, so five letters, I think they, maybe they were all five letters. Anyway, five letters, another word for antelope. So I'm sort of going through things. No idea. So this woman, two rows behind, <laughs> she goes, Eland. It's the word Eland. Who knew? Um, so I learned something as well. And anyway, so this, this, this woman with the crossword, she went, fantastic, we've completed the crossword. We have completed the crossword. And there was this almost like a round of applause in the train. <laughs> something really important happened. We turn from observers into contributors and participators. And it is so easy to observe, to kind of sort of be involved, but not so anyone would notice, to never quite go beyond our comfortable space into the next bit, which is participating, contributing. And this meal is about participating. It's about being involved. It's not about letting someone else do it for you up the front. It's about engaging and participating. And only a few years later than these uh, passages in um, Acts, we have Paul talking to one of the churches that he had planted in Corinth to deal with the way in which they were participating in the breaking of bread. Now, we studied this in lots of detail, Corinthians, that is, um, a couple of years back, trying to learn from them so that we didn't fall into the same errors. Because, you know, pride is a bad thing. You know, we can all follow down the same uh, street that they did. So we were trying to learn from them. So, so let's just do that little bit this morning as well. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 11... Well, I need to hurry up. <laughs> um, he says this. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. He's using sarcasm here. I, I, we didn't kind of read it like that. He's like, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. It's chaos. It's not focused on any of the priorities that Jesus had for them at all. The wider issues in the church community were being expressed in the breaking of bread. It really does let you know that this is a meal that they are participating in. And it was as if some of them were turning up with their Harrods, hamps, Harrods hamps, hampers. <laughs> hamsters. <laughs> In a long morning, <laughs> hampers uh, with their lobster thermidor and their bottles of champagne, and they were just getting there and they were putting down their hampers, and everybody that they liked was gathering around them, and they were kind of like had all these pork pies and special cheeses and all sorts of snacks. And, <laughs> and then the others were coming in and they had half a used up cheese sandwich that they got out of the bin in the car park. 
And that's the message that Paul is saying to them, is that you're coming to this meal about the divisions and the carelessness that you have amongst you is becoming a part of your meal. And some of you are eating to excess. And some of you are getting drunk and you just don't care about anyone else. Now, frankly, you couldn't really eat to excess and become drunk on our communion, could you? Because we have separated it out. But this was the kind of thing they were talking about. And Paul gives them this warning because he takes it very seriously. He says, avoid division. Avoid division. Now, the history of the church is one of division. I mean, there's like huge divisions where like whole denominations kind of start or break off. But there's the, the divisions that come into our churches which break God's heart. And that's happening all over the place, and it has done. You know, when we are divided, we don't leave our division at the door and then come into the service. We bring it all with us. And then that, that is in our breaking of bread with each other. He says, you know, avoid these divisions. Work really hard to be reconciled to each other, to deal with stuff. Avoid divisive behavior. Avoid divisive behavior. He says, avoid excess. You know, don't you be kind of greedy and having it all for yourself where others are suffering. I haven't written anything down about this, but it's made me think, what does that look like globally for the church? Because are we the ones that have excess while others have the sandwich out the bin? And is that okay? Well, clearly it isn't, is it? What does that mean? And at the root of it all, avoid self-centeredness. You know, we, we may demonstrate nothing on the outside, but if in our hearts we are self-centered, then that's totally contrary to what the purpose is of the breaking of bread. One of the things that I think I feel most upset about, about the way that we do communion, is that it has a tendency to privatize it. You know, we're like in our little space, and we have our littlest piece of bread, and you try and eat it without making any sound whatsoever. And you try and swallow it before it gets stuck in your throat, before the wine comes. And, and I know we have the little cups for a reason, but that separates us even more, doesn't it? It makes it feel like it's about me and my space, but it's about us and our space and our relationship with Jesus. And then Paul goes on, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Such strong echoes there of the Lord's Supper that we read from Luke. Proclaim the Lord's death. I think of proclaim as a strong word, not like a mousy word. Proclaim the Lord's death, his death which reconciles, his death that brings us together, his death that's broken down the divisions, that brings us unity and love, his death which is about sacrifice and selflessness, his death which is about generosity and giving and grace. His death is the exact opposite of everything that the Corinthian church was being and doing. And we need to make sure that we proclaim his death in the way that we do our communion together. And in the final bit of this passage, he says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A person ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. I think he means died, by the way. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. He challenges the church and says, you know, you need to do this the right way. You need to kind of put yourself before God and make sure that things are right with him. You need to put yourself before God in terms of Jesus and his death for you, but in terms of the body of Christ, your relationships with one another. In the past, what used to happen was that the churches held what they called a closed table. So what would happen was you'd have the worship service And then only those who were signed up, paid up members could stay for the communion. And everyone else went home because you were not worthy. Well, the idea was kind of right. They were trying to say it's those who've reflected on this, those who've trusted Jesus, those who are part of the body. But actually, it didn't really work that well. And it became much more about the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. Are you worthy to share in the Lord's Supper today? Are you? This is kind of foundational, so we'll start here. Are you worthy to share in the Lord's Supper today? Okay, no and yes. Those who said yes, why? Brilliant. Okay, let's say that again. Why are we worthy to share the Lord's Supper today? Okay, and again. Why are we worthy to share the Lord's Supper today? Okay, so it's not because of me. No. Not because of Phil. No, not because of the amazing worship band. No. Not because of you. Why is it? See, that's it. So no one is worthy, but everyone is worthy because of Jesus. So no one has to be on the outside. You can all be on the inside because of Jesus. We take a moment just to think about that. And we make that commitment to right relationships and shared lives. And literally, finally, (laughs) Jesus says that he will not participate again in the Lord's Supper until there is a fulfillment of the kingdom of God. That's truthfully my favorite bit of the whole reading every single time. That one day, the kingdom of God will be known amongst everyone. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. The rule of God will be across the whole globe for every person. And Jesus says that one day he will eat this meal again with us. See, that's quite exciting, isn't it? He will eat this meal again with us. In heaven, there will be the wedding feast of the Lamb. And even on that day, we'll share this, the memory of the cross with him. And the early church had something that we have really lost, and it was a sense of the imminent return of Jesus. They'd seen him go into heaven. They knew he was going to come back again. And so they thought that he was going to come back. So every time they proclaimed the death and resurrection of Jesus, they thought, this might be the last time we do this before Jesus comes again. I think we don't do that. 
Maybe it would just change things if we thought to ourselves today, this might be the last time that we share this together here on earth before Jesus comes again. Doesn't that kind of heighten your excitement and expectation about what it is? Jesus is returning soon. Every time they took bread and wine, they looked back into the past, to the Passover. They looked to that moment, which for them was pretty much present, where Jesus had died. He had gone to the tomb. He had been raised to life. He had been ascended to heaven. And they looked forward to that day when Jesus would come again and all creation would bow at his name. This morning we're going to do communion a bit different. It needs no introduction. You've just had a 30-minute one. The band are going to come up. They're going to lead us in some worship as we do this. We 